you've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Horror Movie Night. This week, we are without Kyle, we're without Brian, but we have a Nate Lopez in the house from 91 Donkey Lane. Bump, yeah, yeah. Bump, bump, bump. Uh, and we gave him the chance to pick a movie, and he gave us a couple solid options, but he had stressed that his top option was, in fact, In the Mouth of Madness, a movie that I think we've almost talked about on three different occasions on the yeah, show. Yeah. So Th- This one was basically, you're giving me a gimme because I almost picked this <laughs> at least three times. Oh, nice. I think this is like one of those movies that I don't watch that often, but I always enjoy when I do sit down and watch it. I don't want to take anyone's double feature right out the gate, but I'm going to say it of the of the apocalyptic trio of movies. Apocalypse trilogy, Matt. You got to use it right or else somebody's going to come after us. <laughs> That's true. So, Scott, remind me what the third one is. Is it They Live or The Thing? It's The Th- Thing, Prince of Darkness, and then uh, In the Mouth of Madness. Okay. I'm not going to say this is better than The Thing, but... I think... Shit. Now, oh no, Matt, what if I said the wrong thing? (laughs) But I will say that as much as I like Prince of Darkness, I think I like this one more. Well, I think that this one is... It's more bombastic. I think that that's yeah, the Yeah, but it also like makes more sense, which is a lot to say. You know? <laughs> that is shocking. This movie doesn't make sense. <laughs> now, Scott, you've read more of these books than I ever have. Mm-hmm. It is my impression that this is like one of the most heavy, like heavy 
HP Lovecraft inspired like films out there. Like yeah. there's clearly Cthulhu like monsters and then like people get, getting possessed by the works of an artist and all that. Like this is pretty Lovecraftian by definition. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Beyond being a very Lovecraft film, it blends a lot of Stephen King into yep. it, which is um, an interesting addition as well. They're making interesting parallels, I think, between the two authors you know I, I like they're they're basically compared they're putting them on the same level clearly all the way through it's very interesting i think which i feel like is a disservice to stephen king because <laughs> stephen king is a far less problematic writer <laughs> than lovecraft not a racist psycho yeah <laughs> yeah he just likes drugs a lot or liked drugs a lot he, so. he likes drugs and car hand jobs man yep. man on man oh, hand jobs and cars man uh -huh. does he love it and about thirty thousand words too many <laughs> <laughs> i'm almost done dr sleep it's been a two-month excursion to finish this book yeah i have not finished a stephen king novel i've tried and failed yeah. Probably for the last 15 years. I think that I was in college the last time I <laughs> finished a Stephen King novel. So at least 15 years, if not longer. I think the last one I read was Bag of Bones. That might have been like friggin' 1998, 99. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I tried to read 1122-63. I got a third of the way in because that book is about as thick as my forearm. It's ridiculous. So I, I know there's always like the debate of like Stephen King versus Joe Hill. And I'll, I'll say mm -hmm. the biggest... The biggest point in the Joe Hill bucket <laughs> is that Joe Hill rewrites his story three times until he can get it down to the bare essentials of what the story yes. needs to be told versus I think every Stephen King for the last 30 years has been the first draft. Well, he <laughs> like, rewrites it to add more in. I mean, yeah. he to the stand. <laughs> yeah, he's like, it's man, so I only wrote 1,100 much. pages. I better add another 200. <laughs> Like, like, there's some Joe Hill books that are legit, like, 300 pages, and, like, uh -huh. every fucking page of that book counts. But yes. he's like, yeah, the first draft was, like, 800 pages. That's crazy. I had to rewrite it and, like, comb it down to, like, what the story needed. And I'm like, man, can you teach that to your dad? Because, <laughs> like, I, yes, I don't need these 1,500-page uh, books that say nothing for a 1,000 of those pages. Honestly, it's really going back to that 1122, yeah. if you read <laughs> like, the first chapter... And then read the last chapter. You got the whole gist. You're oh, <laughs> man. Well, then I can just I, I can sell this book as soon as I'm off the podcast for the day. <laughs> you, Scott, you should legitimately read the first chapter, read the last chapter and engage in conversation with people who've read the book and see if they ever catch on that you didn't read the middle. <laughs> Here's the thing. You, what you're confusing me with is someone who wants to talk about a Stephen King book with strangers. <laughs> Join a book club. Suggest that book. There you go. Do your bit and then quit the book. <laughs> this is such a long con, but it's like not the payoff will not be worth it. So yeah, I, I don't think that as much as as well as Matt knows me, he knows me so terribly because like <laughs> I am the least long con person. Uh, so my wife and I, when we were dating, we had been talking about getting married. You know, I knew a ring size, all this business, and I had the ring forged in the fires of Mordor, got the phone call that said that it was ready. So I, I drove to the town that's like 40 minutes from my town where I had it made. I picked it up and I immediately drove an hour out past our house to where her grandparents were. And so 
I call her on my way out to the other town and I'm like, oh, I'm going out to that town for an errand. And she like fucking knew because I'm an idiot. And I did, I didn't give her the details, but I gave her a detail and she figured it out. But so anyway, uh-huh. I have this ring in my pocket. I'm like, hey, do you want to go take a walk? I got this ring burning in my pocket. And <laughs> I get down on one knee and she goes, are you really doing this right now? And I'm like, oh God, is she going to say no? <laughs> but I got to say that the long con is not my thing because I could have waited a week. I could have waited a month. I mean, I could have found the yeah. opportune time, yeah. but I was just literally like, do you want to go take a walk? <laughs> you know? And I was like, anyway, right, so, so maybe we should talk about the, the movie. madness. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's not much you could do to add on it, but man, do I love this like heavy metal theme song that kicks off this it movie right so out the good. gate. It's so good. <laughs> I can watch them just printing that book, playing that song for hours. <laughs> it was incredible. You actually did. That was the whole movie. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that for a loop you think that sam neil's in this but you'd be wrong but then also like you know we're throwing lovecraftian around but i'm gonna also throw the word hitchcockian around yeah because that opening scene with the dude with the axe is like a perfect hitchcock tension moment where it's like you're watching two characters who have no clue what's about to hit them but you are watching and you're like shit's about to go down in the worst kind of way right now yeah it's we actually comment i hadn't seen this movie since i was a kid this is one of my favorites as a teenager and i totally forgotten about that opening so when it comes on bacon that we're watching he actually he's like uh, uh what nobody's gonna care about the axe man in the back hang on a minute man it, it, it'll come <laughs> is that going to be his cut up this month <laughs> <laughs> it might be it might be yeah i've got some yeah when we get to the later points in this movie i'm going to point out some stuff here that he was talking about too i i honestly don't have a ton of notes because i really just got sucked into this film it is a practical effects whirlwind of yes. of moments both good and bad some <laughs> effects look incredible and some some effects look passable. Oh my <laughs> the best part about it is that like the most quote unquote passable of them is definitely the the innkeeper's wife uh-huh. with the tentacles, you know? Yeah. And yeah, that was originally that was going to be a full body suit. They shot it and it looks so bad that they changed it to a miniature and it's still not good. <laughs> I have a hard time with a lot of the miniatures in this movie. The one where the, <laughs> the miniatures are running down the ho- the tunnel. That wasn't miniatures. That wasn't. Oh, my goodness. ILM did did the, the special oh. effects for this movie. And they actually it was an 18 foot tall wall of <laughs> monsters. And it was on a track that had. So there were people in it. Who were like moving around and stuff and then there was also people there were people behind it who were pushing it towards gotcha. the people i mean it, i originally thought that it was claymation um yeah stop motion but that's yeah, people oh I, I would also put on the on the passable category and it's a it's a great effect don't get me wrong it's a great effect but when her, she's all twisted up <laughs> and her head's oh, like yeah. upside down and she's spider walking and it's like yeah, they could have done more to cover up the no. the like where the head is like clearly the top of somebody's head where like yeah. they're like yeah. I think they put like a necklace over it to be like that's what that is. That's not a bulge <laughs> of the top of someone's head. Yeah. It's- <laughs> What's that uh that movie that just came out with uh, uh that clearly drew a lot of inspiration from Oh, it. Malignant? There you go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, there is so many parallels here. I was thinking Malignant when they showed the back of uh yep. Foster Sutton yep. Kane's like 
like head and it's like that crazy mutant creature behind yep. him. The spider walking too, you know, yeah. it's, I, I don't know. I spider walking does nothing for me. It's the, it take it takes me right out of the movie and it's hilarious. Every time I see it. <laughs> I don't know. The first time I watched the exorcist, I've, I got a hold of the unrated there director's cut or whatever. And I watched it at, like in the middle of the night at home no one was awake and the crab walk scene scared the shit out of me honestly but but that's the problem is that that was so good that everyone tried to do it again and no one could do yeah. it well. yeah yeah <laughs> all i see are strings now you know you yeah. could just see everything you, you know that's a person you know i don't know I, I agree with you on the exorcist i think that one's done really really well but no it's, but it's like in the in the mouth of madness crab walk to the exorcist crab walk is kind of like nirvana to the toadies you know what i mean like <laughs> it's like yeah it's a good effort it's just not yeah. nirvana like, I would argue, like, John Carpenter in general as a director, right? Like, I think he is, he's usually more of a, like, not showing his hands very often, right? Like, his yeah. movies are, like, pretty slow paced yep. and, like, kind of build up steam. And, you know, like, Halloween, like, you barely see any of the violence in Halloween. Yeah. It's all implied violence. And, you know, this is like around that era like yeah it's like right after the thing he's like starting to get like more into the practical effects but even uh -huh. the thing it's a slow burn before you start yeah. getting to the craziness this movie wastes like maybe 15 minutes and then it's just like all right now we're in crazy town have fun for the next think, hour did you not catch the name of the film that is true i think even touching on the soundtrack you know switching from the uh the electronic keyboard to mm -hmm. this straight up driving metal you know i think right from the get-go he's saying this is kind of a different movie here yeah that we're playing but i mean good yeah, for I him good for him for branching out <laughs> yeah you know what and and i remember someone told me this one time and i and i do truly believe this in my heart they're like you can hate some john carpenter movies you can be like you know ghost of mars is trash john carpenter's yeah. vampires isn't good movie. but he was like you know what's the one thing that you can say about john carpenter John Carpenter never made a movie that John Carpenter didn't want to watch. Like, <laughs> no, like, I, will, I will defend Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, I you think that might be it. my favorite of all Everybody his movies, to be honest. Big Trouble in Little China. That, yeah, that movie is that so popular amazing. now. It's such a... But I think it's... For me, Like I always liked that movie as a kid, but then as an adult, when you realize that it's like, oh, we're following the sidekick, he just doesn't yeah. realize he's the sidekick, is yes. like the best subversion to like the yes. action genre. It's so good. Yes. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> Nate, I, I want to ask why why this movie? Like you mentioned that you hadn't watched it in a really long time, but you pretty much, I think you, I had asked you to be on the show and you're yeah. like, give me an hour. And then you were like, I would really like to talk about In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. But here's two other options. So, <laughs> like, so this movie, when I was growing up, my cousins really sold this movie to me. And so I went in, I, I love John Carpenter. I love being scared. And I went into this movie like eyes wide open, ready to be terrified. And I had such a fun time watching it the first time. And, you know, I was a little scared. Well, now flash forward a couple months. And I got to tell you a little story here. I'm driving home. I used to come home from work at like 1 a.m. I'm driving home on this dirt road. And this is in, you know, middle of the mountains, Utah. So I'm driving on this dirt road and I see a person up ahead of me. It's this girl riding a bike with blonde hair that's flowing out behind her. Right. And You're I got me. terrified. I'm not kidding at all. I got terrified. Sped past her like 60 miles an hour, realized she was one of my friends. I was driving too fast. I get home and my heart's beating like 30, you know, it's like 300 miles an hour. You know, I'm terrified of what I just seen, even though I know it's my friend. So of all the movies I've watched, just because of that one old man kid part on the yeah. bike, I have always <laughs> hung on to this movie 
because I was scared as a kid. I really just enjoy it, man. And beyond that, I really like how meta it gets. I wanted to see this movie fold in on itself. You know, I'd love if Sam Neill came out of Sam Neill. I just wanted more. I really like the idea <laughs> of it being meta. I wanted this to turn into like a black hole movie where it just swallows itself and comes out inside out. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I just I really enjoy this movie. I, I, I just love it. You threw the word fun out there. And I really do think it is like as as heady as the movie is, it, it never stops at least having fun with yes. what it's doing. It's not too invested in its own bullshit to yep. like not be able to like wink, smile and nod about the absurdity of it all yes. at the same time. Yes. And I, I'm OK with all the, the leaps in logic, you know, and that because you got to have to piece the plot together by the end, you know, and that, that's OK. <laughs> it's just it's a lot of fun. Like the, the scenes getting from scene to scene is fun. And I, I just enjoy it, man. I really love this movie. And even like something as horrifying as like when he's watching that dude kill himself with a shotgun and he's like, please don't do it. And he's like, I have to, I was written this yeah. way. Like, it's yeah. like shit like that's like, it's kind of like that movie stranger than fiction, but so yes. much more horrific because yes. you're sitting there and you're like, they are super sentient that they are characters and yes. that they cannot deviate from their plot. Like, By the way, uh, Vigo, the Carpathian. Yeah. This is his last <laughs> movie before he died. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's wild. I, every time I see him, I'm like, ah, it's Rico. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to do the voice. You have to be like, oh, he's Vigo. <laughs> <laughs> Even like the jump scares in this are really well paced. Like there's that scene where Sam Neill has the nightmare and then he just turns around and there's like that mutant cop sitting next to him for a split second. It's like, shit, that even got me for a second. Yeah, I, <laughs> I get so annoyed to get caught by the devil nightmare. You know, like, <laughs> come on, Nate, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like even stuff like I've watched Jaws a hundred times, a uh -huh. hundred times. And I still jump at the same part every single time when the boat's going down yep. and Chief Brody's in the water. And I'm like, oh. at some point, the shark bursts through this glass. But yep. I never remember the exact moment that it happens. So I'm like anticipating. And then every time it still startles me when that head just smashes through the side of the boat. Mulholland Drive, the monster behind the diner every yeah. single oh, time. Yeah. Not that I'm rewatching Mulholland Drive all the time. But <laughs> you don't have Yeah, that to. old revisitable <laughs> classic. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Mulholland Drive. I'm going to go down a tangent that is like one of my favorite stories. So I was in high school. I was in a film class. Ooh. One of our assignments was to make a music video. I did a claymate, an all claymation music oh, video, no. which took fucking months to do. Say, of course, it does. obviously, when we're done the music video session, we all sit in class and we watch these music videos. Right? One of the kids' music videos <laughs> was a nine-minute-long Tool song oh, that he just filmed his TV oh, as Mahalan Drive was on, and it was oh. just like. It My was just God. like highlights from Mulholland Drive. And then oh, at one God. point he was like playing a video game. And like our teacher was like infamously short tempered as a yeah. person. So yeah. there's a point about five minutes into this shit music video <laughs> where like slowly all of the eyes of the class are like turning to look at the teacher to see like what is about to happen. Yeah. And he sees that everyone's looking at him and he just goes, oh, I know. But he made this, so we all have to suffer now. <laughs> and I'm going to say, I think Tool matches perfectly with that shit. Right? <laughs> I feel like 
that is a video they would be like yeah i like it let's do it yeah, let's just film the tv <laughs> tool has either great songs or just straight garbage you know and there's like that's all they have you know I so feel like, like that's Mainer's mo in general because i can yeah, say the same yeah. about perfect circle and yes. all of his other projects i i completely agree with that <laughs> yes yeah, a nine minute video of mulholland drive in a 11th grade english class that's exactly how i would <laughs> i would picture one of their videos <laughs> anyway sorry back to in the mouth of bed <laughs> a tangent movie well this whole movie is a tangent really yeah, you know, it is. <laughs> it's one tangent after another <laughs> the the best part about i did some reading about the allegories and uh, the hat tips that they were doing more or less yeah. between stephen king and hp uh, lovecraft and no one agrees Everybody's like, no, this is a Stephen King reference, and then everybody else is, and somebody else is like, no, this is a this is a, a Lovecraft reference, and then somebody else is like, you're both wrong. It's not a reference at all. This movie yep. is the most <laughs> Someone, gatekeeping with, movie. Then there's it's the hilarious. one guy that's like, I think it's a reference to Dean Koontz. <laughs> I know, <laughs> and that's like, literally Dean Koontz on IMDb <laughs> putting like, in the trivia. Yeah, hey guys, is it Dean Koontz great? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Username not Dean Coons. <laughs> yeah, oh at definitely not Dean K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dean Coons's mom dot com. Yes. Honestly, I could see Clive Barker oozing into this a little bit. This is yeah. more his style, but well, oh, yeah. Clive Barker is yeah. really, really heavily. I think that he's far more influenced by the Cthulhu mythos than yeah. than Stephen King. Although I understand that Stephen King's earliest, some of his earliest work, is considered to be part of the Cthulhu mythos. I just find that. Clive Barker has a lot more of his short stories and Clive Barker is a much better short story writer than Stephen King because I feel like Stephen King I mean I I love Night Shift and I love Skeleton Key those are what I would consider my favorite Stephen King Uh releases or you know like of the things he's published I love his short stories the best just because I think that horror works best as short stories I don't I don't know if there is I've had a really hard time as an adult finding full-length novels in the horror it's, genre that don't piss me off because it feels yeah, it's like it's just, just the john dies at the end trilogy for you and like yeah. not much else <laughs> yeah i mean but also j dot like j date works so much better because it is almost episodic well and i think that that's something that we've talked about before is the idea that the person who writes those books is a comedy writer uh-huh. first yeah. like yeah we are we are seeing the last 10 years we have seen that comedy writers are better at writing horror than most people who've dedicated their life to writing horror and Nate I'd love to hear your two cents on this but I know for me I think it's that the the setup to a joke is very similar to the setup of a scare like you have to know it right you're just going for beat beat punchline right it's the same (laughs) thing right sometimes the punchline is being stabbed yeah 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 you know and I do think that comedy writers tend to understand the idea of heightening a little bit more than regular Mm -hmm. writers right so it's really easy to give a taste and then give another taste, wait a beat, give that punchline, right? It's the same writing for everything. I think that's why, like, a lot of times Stephen King, I don't even really kind of put him in the horror genre sometimes. I, the Stand is not a horror mo- uh, book to me, you know? Langoliers is not horror. These, to me, it's almost like a, a thriller fiction than anything. I think his yeah. horror comes from his short stories, like you were saying, you know? Yeah. And I do think that. Once he gets longer and more verbose, he loses the horror aspect, which is, I think, interesting. Well, I also think that like, if I was to rank my top five Stephen King books, I don't think any of them would fall into the 
the horror genre. No. Like, I think, yeah, he likes horror, but I think that that's not his strong suit. I, I agree. But it's what I, sells. So it, he's I, like, all right, I'm just going to keep writing it. <laughs> like, I think his longest straight horror book might be like The Regulators, but he wrote that under Bachman. So The Regulators and Desperation, I would consider that one book. Yeah. It's so kind I. of yes. like how I would consider Dolores Claiborne and um, Gerald's Game one book. Misery can be thrown into that little pile. Oh, too. yeah, because they actually, you're, you're right. All three of those are supernaturally connected and they happen yeah. at the same time. So I would, I really do think that the horror of Stephen King's writing, in Stephen King's writing, comes from drama. The, the things that happen aren't necessarily terrifying, the things that happen are horrifying because he builds so much into those characters. And yes, and for I me, I have always gravitated, ever since the first time I read Edgar Allan Poe, like, I, I, you know, I, I've always been a short story kind of person because I want that dopamine rush, you know? Like, I want to yeah. be a little scared. I want there to be enough uh, holes left in what that monster or that killer or that experience, that horrific experience is that I can fill in the blanks myself. Yeah. No one's going to scare you as well as your own brain. Yep. And the buildup is so long that when things happen, it's like, I mean, I think, I really think of him more of like the EC Comics kind of, because he was so heavily influenced by them. I yeah. mean, obviously because he did Creepshow. Yeah. But I think about some of the stuff he did as Bachman, like Roadwork, I, I would consider a lot of it revenge porn, you know, kind of like that. I agree with both of you that he's, less of like a straight horror writer the themes are horror but the the presentation is not i i think that i think that you made a good point bringing up ec comics though because i think he also falls into this category where like something else that i think gets categorized as horror more often than it actually is horror is that I think his books are very comparable to like Twilight Zone episodes. Yes. yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the Twilight Zone episodes, it's a lot more of like a sense of dread in this fantastical alternate reality than our own, than anything else. More than existential, yeah. Yeah, but like people talk about Twilight Zone and if you're if you're listening to the way people talk about the Twilight Zone, you're thinking that you're going to watch a show that's going to literally scare the shit out of you. But it's like, no, it's much more headier than that. And it's more like the concept of the world that you're in is very yeah. upsetting on an emotional level more than anything. Yeah. With his, again, we're going back to his word count. I think his word count is his biggest weakness. When, when you look <laughs> at how many words he puts into his book, he ends up spending a weirdly disproportionate amount of time explaining the why behind how things yeah. happen. He's like, to your point. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't want the why. Cause when you get into the why you get really silly reasons. Why are these monsters living in the middle of the earth? Right. For mathematics. Like why? I don't care. I like, <laughs> up the earth. you know, I think that scares me. That's what's so funny. Like it, it, when you compare what Stephen King does to what Lovecraft did, uh -huh. Lovecraft did the exact opposite where there would be just little flashes of an explanation uh -huh. of the visual of a monster. But most of the time it was like the monster was so horrific that it turned the the person who saw it mad. And that's, yes. you know, like, there's no rhyme or reason why there's there's no motive for the elder gods that want to take over the world. Like Sutter Kane in this yeah. is just doing it because he can. You yes. know, yeah. like it's I agree with that. And, and that's the only why that you need. I love that. Yep, I totally love it. It reminds me of like, this is going to be a weird poll, but Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know? Why did the Ark kill all the Nazis? Well, why not, you know? 
<laughs> because it's just something from another world, you know? Yeah, like it doesn't exactly. care about humans. We're ants. And I want to, as we're getting close to, I think, the end of the Mouth of, Mouth, Mouth of Madness, uh, Nate's obviously, he doesn't know this, but I'm about to tell him. He's about to join us for our Patreon episode. And I figured out what the Patreon episode is going to be on this Stephen King tangent is that I've been pitching an idea to our co-host Kyle of a documentary I want to make about Stephen King. And I'm going to pitch it to you guys as our Ooh. Patreon episode. <laughs> so love you, can, you can fill in the blanks. But we do have to at least real quick before we wrap up in the Mouth of Madness, talk about the most gifable ending of the movie of just Sam Neill just sitting laughing in the movie theater. I've seen that pop up in comments on Slack uh -huh. threads and Discord yep. many a times. Yep. It's right there with Michael Jackson eating the popcorn is just uh -huh. if you like classic great final shot that literally, like you said, Nate, like the movie's just kind of folding in on yep. itself. And it's like it's making you feel insane while watching yes. it. Like it's such a crazy ending. They really, because they really blend it there between, you know, this Dr. or John Trent, who, by the way, insurance investigator, holy crap, what a weird job. Anyways, <laughs> I really like that touch because that's such a weird private investigator, like a niche right there. I loved it. Hey, man, there's riches and niches. So having Trent kind of meld with Sam Neill there at the end a little bit, I loved that. I really loved that this movie tried to turn itself inside out. I think that was such a smart play. But yes, I love him sitting in the in the theater just laugh. It's a kind of a seminal image from the movie. I really enjoy it. Just covered with all the drawn on crosses and shit. He had a lot of shit on his face this movie. <laughs> You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. All right, well, I think we're at the point where we're going to talk about some double features. Nate, I, I don't know if I gave you a heads up on this either, but right. maybe Bacon did. At the end of every episode, we pick a other another film that we would want to pair with this movie. It could be because it's very similar aesthetically. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's something as loose as, hey, the same actors in both of these movies, so it makes me want to watch it. But to give you a little bit of time to think of something, Scott, how about you tell us your double feature for, for In the Mouth of Madness? <laughs> It's more of a bit than an actual double feature, but uh, you know, you get done within the mouth of madness, and I, I, uh, I turn to the the person that I'm I've subjected to the watch, and I go, "Do you like Sutter Kane?" And then we put on disturbing <laughs> behavior. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. I, I'm into that bit. I was watching the movie, and I was thinking, "Man, there's another movie that I really love, where a slightly older gentleman is on a road trip." 
to solve a mystery with a much younger woman and there's implications of some romantic ties. So I'm going to pop on Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, immediately <laughs> following <laughs> in the I don't think the madness. implication is there. That, that movie is just <laughs> about the banging. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I think I've already given it out earlier. And Malignant. Yeah, I think you should pair both of these. It's, it's a lot of gore and it's a lot of stupid horror. But <laughs> I don't know. It's like watching a dad and his junior. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't think I'd enjoy this double feature. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I do think they pair well together. I don't know. I, I, I think it'd be a it'd be an interesting night to at least talk over and just seeing exactly what. Well, you could off. do what you were talking about with eleven twenty two sixty three, where you watch <laughs> the first ten minutes and then the last ten minutes of Malignant, and you That's literally honestly- get the entire movie. You do. Yeah, you really do. Okay, I changed my answer. The first 10 minutes or the last 10 minutes of the movie, that's what I would do. You just, you got to see them pull all this stuff, where it came from. I think that's interesting. All right, and for the last part of the show, we talk about what is something that we've watched, read, whatever, that we either really, really loved or we'd like to warn people to avoid at all costs. Scott, we'll start with you again. I've been sitting on it. It's been probably two months since I finished it at this point, but I finally watched Dr. Sleep. And oh. I thought that that would be a great, this would be a great time to mention that I did finally, um, since it dovetails with all the Stephen King talk that we've done this week. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it, but only because of Ewan McGregor. He's such a fantastic actor. Yeah, he's just, I, I've never seen a bad Ewan McGregor performance. Yeah. I'm, pr- I'm sure I've I, seen bad Ewan McGregor movies, but not a bad Ewan McGregor performance. I would say that the genius of Mike Flanagan, and I would never really give him this kind of credit like regularly, but I think that mm-hmm. he really deserves it. I mean, like Mike Flanagan is very hit or miss is what I'm trying to say. But yes, yeah, this is a straight hit. This is a home run in the way that he brought in, especially the visual aesthetic of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. As much as I dislike that movie as a uh, novel adaptation, I think that it's an important piece of cinema. You know, yeah, so I agree with that. Um, and I think that Doctor Sleep is a Stephen King book as a movie that has a little sprinkling of you know like that spice from the shining and it i think it's it it blends so well where stanley kubrick just couldn't get out of his own head to blend it himself yep. so i think that's that's that. truly um a piece of art there. I'm going to talk about something that is going to feel real awkwardly dated by the time this episode comes <laughs> then out. Don't in do late it. January. No, I got to do it because I need to tell people how good this movie was. Last night, me and my friends hopped on HBO Max and we watched 8 Bit Christmas, which is a new film that is basically a modern day version of the Christmas story, except instead of wanting a BB gun, he really wants an NES. It is so heartfelt. It's such a sweet movie. Oh, it's man. really funny. It exists in like child logic where like the school bully is played by like a 40 year old man surrounded <laughs> by a bunch of like 10 year olds. Like it's like little stuff like that. That's like so I'm, fucking so funny much. and tied into like nostalgia and childhood innocence that like, yeah, obviously you're probably going to want to watch it in like late November, early December, but it taps on so much of like those things that you remember as a kid that I think, you know, it's January. If you're in an area where it's snowy, I think you would still pull a lot from it that you'd be like, all right, this feels okay enough for a January watch. (laughs) But finally, Nate, what is something that you watch, listen to, whatever that you want to promote? And also, 
Tell us about 91 Donkey Lane. Yes, I will. Uh, <laughs> so the thing I would like to promote might be a little stale at this point as well, but I, I can't, I want people to watch it is Pig. I think Pig is, it was the movie I enjoyed the most that came out this year. When you expect it to go left, it goes right. When you expect it to go up, it goes down. Nick Cage is fantastic in it. And it is not what you think it is. It's not a John Wick movie. It is so good. I absolutely adored that movie. So go watch Pig. Watch it with friends. It's a really good party movie, I think. And then 91 Donkey Lane. It's a podcast we've been going, I can't believe, almost three years now. Yeah. My roommate and I, we do a fully improvised, basically, radio play, I guess, at this point. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. It's it's about a 20, 25-minute a long comedy podcast we play two heightened versions of ourselves we're idiots uh we live in a magical apartment we get visited by magical creatures and ghosts and whatever else you want it's just a fun time it's really it's really great this latest episode uh bacon is out of jail now we are trying <laughs> to get ghosts out of our house and of course we fuck it all up because we're morons so it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun and I mean, you guys are very close to your 20th, fifth episode spectacular. So like, that's really cool too. <laughs> you know how that started? That was the fifth episode. I was talking too fast and I said our first fifth episode spectacular. Bacon, because he didn't doesn't miss anything. He's like, okay, well, now we're doing one every five episodes. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it started. <laughs> Just such a funny show. So many classic moments. I, I know the seance ep- at the time we we're recording this, the seance episode is the most recent episode, yes. and it was just absolute. I was fucking dying listening <laughs> to Bacon have to voicing like ten different ghosts, and I'm bringing it up because Bacon 100% does one of them as Bob from uh, House. <laughs> yes, <Cemetery>. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's, oh God, it's so funny. I don't know why our comedy works when I win and he loses, and it's so. <laughs> funny every time it happens i just adore it because i can do whatever i want and i always win and i love it (laughs) all right well nate thank you so much for joining us everyone go check out 91 donkey lane uh keep subscribing and writing those reviews and five stars and all that good jazz on horror movie night and 91 donkey lane toss them some five stars too (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and we will be back next week with more horror movie night You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. 
all in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.